So this year we started out, we've, we've had this a theme that we've been rolling with and it's more of a question really than it is a theme or it's both, both and that's the theme of Shaped and the question of who is shaping you, what is shaping you, uh, are you shaping each other, how are you shaping each other and we looked at how Christians, as Christians, uh, it should be the Word of God that should be one of those primary places where we're being shaped. It's the Word of God that ministers to the spiritual vitality of the soul of believers through the work of the Spirit as it nurtures our lives in there to transform us, to enable us to know God appropriately and to live according to His design. And as I just tried to pray then, uh, as Paul writes in this letter, a man worthy of the Lord. That, that we might live to God's glory and to our joy. And then we looked at how we shape each other and the biblical picture of the ministry of one another and all these kind of reciprocal relational commands that we find in there. And as they're lived out, they paint this picture of this new community of people who have said, uh, who have had their hearts recreated, come alive uh, through the work of Christ, through his work on the cross, and then the work of the Spirit to regenerate and bring new life uh, to us in, in our souls. And then, of course, last week, um, you know, we heard from you. We heard from people who come here uh, about how they are um, actually experiencing that uh, ministry of one anotherness here and how that's encouraging them and all that sort of stuff. And that was great. I will tell you, though, that I also had some conversations with people who said, no, that hasn't, that hasn't been me at the moment. So work to do, family. Work to do, okay? And today what we're going to do with the help of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, we are beginning to look at how the Christian life is shaped by Jesus Christ. And as we do, we're going to be asking the question, uh, how, are we being shaped by Christ? How much of our lives is being shaped by our relationship with Jesus, our understanding of who he is and what he's done? Because our view of who Jesus Christ is will impact every area of our lives. What we think about Jesus matters. Our, our perception of him shapes uh, who we are, shapes you know, what we say, shapes how we move towards others, how we treat others, even shapes kind of the way we think, our motivations, the deep scripts of our lives. And if we kind of paint our own picture or kind of Photoshop Jesus up or crop out little bits uh, to shoot, just to suit ourselves, to be something other than he has proclaimed himself to be. And that is, as we'll see, the supreme uh, over all creation, sufficient uh, in all the world to save all peoples of the world. Not only does our theology slip, and our theology is just, you know, our, our thinking of God, our understanding of God, how God has made himself known to us. Not only does that begin to slip, but as that slips, how, how that works itself out in the world, our practice of our Christian faith, that also begins to slip. Well, Paul writes this letter to the Colossians, and he's writing from a prison in Rome, and we kind of understand that from uh, Colossians 4.18. He, he gives us a hint there that he's, you know, remember my chains. He's writing from a prison in Rome. Acts 28 tells us that. 
And he's writing to this church that has sprung up in Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey, sort of the southwest corner of modern-day Turkey. And this church has come to life from the evangelistic work of a lad named Epaphras. Uh, we can read about that in verse 7 there. Paul himself has never been to uh, Colossae, has never been to this church, has never met these people. But the gospel um, that, that was given to him by Jesus, we read about that in Acts 9, and we can read about that story in Acts 22, of which Paul himself is an apostle, uh, and he calls himself a minister and servant, so he doesn't have any tickets on himself. The gospel uh, that came to him, that gospel has been to Colossae. And it's been there, and it's still there. And it got there, as we read, uh, through this lad Epaphras, who probably heard Paul preaching uh, down in Ephesus or across in Ephesus a few years earlier. And Paul, it seems, has done some discipleship work with Epaphras. There's a relationship there because Paul describes Epaphras as a, a beloved fellow servant. Like he's, he's in the ministry like Paul. Paul is a very collaborative kind of uh, person. He, he likes to train up and equip and, and send people out. Now, this is important because Epaphras would have shared the same gospel message that Paul preaches, this message of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ alone to bring all people, regardless of who they are, whether they're Jews or whether they're Gentiles or you kind of crazy people there in Colossae, into a proper relationship with God. And, in, and not just into a relationship, but then, then to hold them in an ongoing sense uh, to keep them in grace, the grace that's found in Christ, to be able to continue in that faith. Epaphras did not take his own thoughts and his own speculation about who Jesus is and what he might be. He took the gospel that he received from Paul, that Paul received from Jesus. And the evidences that he did that are seen in the fact that just as everywhere else the gospel goes in the, in the world, just as it bears fruit everywhere else in the world, and the same kind of fruit that it bears everywhere else in the world, they are seeing that come to life in Colossae. It's bearing fruit there as well. And what Paul's doing as, as he writes to them like this and, and, and says, hey, look, this is what's going on. He's reassuring them that they have the truth, that they have all they need, that their transformed lives uh, that he will talk about soon, lives of faith, love and hope are the evidence that they have received the gospel, the evidence that they, that they know God appropriately, that they're in this relationship with him. So the reason for Paul writing this letter from his prison cell is firstly to encourage them, to encourage them in the veracity of their faith. It's a legit faith. It's a product of the gospel. But that's not the only reason why Paul is writing. He's heard some other stories along the way about the Colossians. It seems that Epaphras, and we get that based on verse 8, in sharing uh, all the news about the church. Like, man, they're really shooting the lights out, you know, um, faith, love, and hope. But uh, 
there's some concerns starting to emerge in the church as it goes and as it gets along. Uh, something that Paul calls uh, philosophies and empty deceits in chapter 2.8. There's emerging uh, and brewing ideas that are causing those to hear them, causing those to, to come into contact with them, to, to, to start to question, uh, even to lose a little bit of confidence in the gospel that they first heard, even though that gospel is, is how, they, how they encountered this saving grace, how the, how, the, how the fruits of the gospel bore into their lives. There are conversations going on where people are saying, yeah, it's, it's true that Jesus alone saves, but I know this guy Simeon, uh, he's a devout Jew who keeps all the old school religious observations. And he says, you know, that's how you please God. That's how you get into God's good books. And he seems like a good guy. He seems like a nice guy. Like he's generous with his money, he's always tithing, all that sort of stuff. He sounds so convincing. So maybe I'll add that to my faith. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe that's maybe I need to go back to that old school uh, Judaism faith. I'm not getting rid of Jesus, but 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 this is what I'm I'm hearing. Or I know this guy Anthony. He's the local pagan mystic, and he says, you know, there's these very powerful spiritual forces out there. There's secret wisdom out there and knowledge that you that you need to be concerned about. And he seems like a nice enough person. He's, he's you know, God would approve of him. It seems pretty good life. He's good to his wife and kids. Does yoga. He sounds so convinced by what he says. So do I need to factor that in to this gospel? That I've heard. There are old religious and cultural voices emerging within this community. And then there's the, the political propaganda of the day that convinced Roman subjects that they were far better off by supporting and complying with the empire because that is the only proven system that could guarantee security and human flourishing in an uncertain world. Indeed, the emperor was lauded, the emperor of Rome was lauded as a king whose rule brought about peace and provision and forgiveness, according to the writings of, of a poet of the time, Horace. And just in case you weren't sure just how that worked, how that, how that provision worked, it was on your money. Every time you looked at your money, on one side there was a, a picture of the, god, of the goddess Pax, of the goddess Peace, and then on the other side were the weapons of warfare that Rome used to keep that peace. And some people call the concern that Epaphras is, is talking to Paul about in, in the church of Colossae they, a heresy, uh, that it's a line of false teaching uh, like Gnosticism, but I'm not sure that it's that organized yet. It certainly gets there, but whether it's that organized yet is, a, is another question. It, 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 I kind of picture it. It's more like some of the stories that trend on social media uh, that have these alarming little clickbait moments that make you stop and, and read in that. It's kind of like, oh, he, 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 he really thought he was saved until, and it's, oh my goodness, I wonder what it was. And we look and, we, and people read these things and they never fact check it. That happens on social media all the time. Nobody bothers to fact check a single thing. And no one ever fact checks uh, what they're hearing against the gospel that they received. The gospel uh, about God's son. And then all of a sudden, there are these philosophies at play that are shaping the faith of the Colossians that have nothing at all to do with the gospel, that undermine the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus to continue to do what he did when he saved them, to continue 
to hold them, to continue to keep them in relationship with God. So by the time you know these stories all become an organized idea like Gnosticism, they've already got root, they're already in, in play. And so they can rip the joint apart real easy. So Paul, ever the pastoral heart, writes to encourage the Colossians, writes also to challenge the Colossians to continue uh, in greater devotion and greater dependency in Jesus based on the supremacy of Jesus over all things. Supremacy over emperors and spiritual forces and religious practices. And that's going to unfold as the book goes along. And sufficiency for all people, regardless of their heritage, uh, of their gender, regardless of of whether or not they've got a grasp of metaphysics and, and, and the paranormal and all this other stuff. And this is where this letter written in 60 AD becomes a timeless gift of grace and truth to us. Because we also face these concerning philosophies. We, always, we also hear these arguments and criticisms, political and cultural pressures uh, we face as well. We, we hear these things that, that, that come up out of the shallow end of the pool that are a mile wide and inch deep, that acid away at our confidence in our faith in Jesus, that can, if we let them, shape with uncertainty our understanding of the grace of God. And how in Jesus, as Paul reminds the Colossians in verse 13, that God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Like that has happened. That's a reality. It's not up, it's not up for debate. And in that kingdom of the beloved son, there's these two great realities, two great truths that are in play. And one of them is redemption and the other one is the forgiveness of sin. This is grace and peace. Grace from God, peace with God, relationship with God, the realities of this new creation. Experience truths that in Jesus, all physical and spiritual ills, all physical and spiritual concerns and threats and worries of the world find their uh, cure, find their recreation, uh, find their place in Jesus. And for the Colossians, as inhabitants of the Roman province of Asia, they lived in a world shaped by social and political and, and religious historic pressures all around them. However, now that they are in Christ, now that they are saints, as Paul calls them, uh, this is a qualification of standing before God uh, that God has granted, not one that they have earned. These new realities are at play Realities that are shaping them by the gospel about Jesus, by the gospel of the Son. Realities that should be shaping them about the grace of God and the love of the Spirit. And they're, they're not an event. They're not just something that happened, that took place uh, in a one-off moment, and then, oh, you know, we've got to try and work out where to go from from here but they are ongoing they are continuous they're described as being you know part of this new kingdom that that Jesus is ushering in in a, a, an environment a kingdom a relationship in which they can grow and delight and be strengthened in the knowledge of God's will like like it's all their form there's not some secret something or other out there that they don't already know they can grow in spiritual understanding of wisdom. And as, and as Paul writes this opening letter and reminding them who've, who they are, it kind of pulsates with purpose and excitement. 
not loss of confidence, not loss of hope. Paul writes to the Colossians and by extension to you and I to encourage us in these realities and to continue to be shaped by them and not to be shaped by emerging philosophies of culture, religious or political narrative, these things that are devoid of the gospel. The gospel, the news that according to the scripture, the the history of God's promises, that Jesus died for sinners, people who have a history of de-godding God and, and living for themselves, living in opposition to his promises, that this Jesus who died for these sinners rose to life and to impart his new resurrection life into them and bring them into relationship with God. That's the news. And the gospel, that news, is not something that is an event or something that we graduate from. This, this grace of God is not, is not an event. It's something that we move more deeply into over time as we see over time more clearly our own sinfulness, our own need for grace. And as over time we experience more powerfully this grace in us to transform us to become more and more like the people that God wants us to be. We have a little saying here. I stole it from Timothy Keller. And it's this. It's that you are far more wicked than you would ever dare admit. Like there's just stuff about you that you don't want your wife or your husband to know that you never want to have up on Facebook. Like there's stuff about you and you wonder whether or not if people knew stuff like that, would they still move towards you? Would they still kind of love you? And, and the gospel is that you are far more loved than you ever dare dream. That yes, God wasn't repulsed. He still moved toward you. He still died for you. And he has brought you into this life knowing all that about you. When Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Colossians in this and to address the issues that Epaphras has raised and to challenge them, as we said, to greater and deeper devotion Uh, based on the greatness of Jesus to hold them in that. And because Paul never actually met the Colossians, they don't actually, they've never met in person, and nor has Paul met you and I, he writes on the basis of what we actually share, what we have in common, and that's a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus as this supreme and sufficient uh, place of peace, of supreme and sufficient place of provision and forgiveness and hope. And Paul writes in ways that form bonds and connects him. There's connections between him and his audience, and it connects us. It connects across time and distance and culture. For Paul, the bond, the commonality of the gospel has seen him uh, fulfill the role of an apostle. Jesus has called him into this role, and as I said, you can read about it in Acts 9 and 22. Uh, Being an apostle is a very unique and and limited role, no longer exists in the way that Paul exercised it. There are people who have the gift of apostles, like church planners and that, but we don't have apostles like we did in the New Testament anymore. So if somebody sort of stands up and says, hey, I'm an apostle, no, they're they're not. Um, They're probably rolling in the lane of philosophies, and anyway, it doesn't matter. Paul... Paul is, sim- Paul is simply what he is because God has made him that. It, it's got nothing to do um, with his um, attributes. God has assigned him the task, as he points out in his opening remarks. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 
So any authority that Paul has is not attached to his attributes. In fact, uh, in a letter that Paul writes to the Philippians, uh, he considers his piling up of his achievements and, uh, as no more value, of no more value to him than just a big pile of excrement. Now Paul's authority lies in the truth of the gospel that he received from Jesus. And he now preaches that gospel. And all that Paul does, he does for the sake of the gospel and the building up of the church that arises out of it. So when Paul hears that there's a community, this community that he hasn't met is struggling, he knows that they've got something in common, and that's this gospel. And so he gets involved, and he does exactly what Jesus has asked him to do, and that is to nurture the church, to make sure it knows the truth, the gospel. And Paul informs them that he regularly and continuously prays for them, giving thanks to God for uh, their faith, love, and hope. Like He doesn't go, oh, you guys are so awesome, look at what you've done. No, he, he attributes to what's going on there as being God's work. And so this is, yeah, you're right, this is what God has done in us. That the gospel has produced uh, in this community of people a spiritual vitality. It is in the content of Paul's prayer that he encourages the Colossians who are who they are. They are in Christ and he reminds them to be shaped by what the gospel has done in them. Not the philosophies of culture and the pressures around them. And Paul points out in verses 10 that all they need to do this, God has supplied. He is the source of knowledge and spiritual wisdom that equips them to live this life worthy of the Lord. Live a life that is effective. Live a life that impacts. Live a life where they are held in place. A life that is secure. A life that is even joyous. And it's a nice reminder as we read for the, the way Paul prays. It's kind of like a nice reminder that when we pray for each other and even people that we have never met, uh, it's the environment within the heart of a person, of a believer, that we should be seeking growth and change and maturity in, not merely the environment in which they live, right? Like we often attack the environment like that people live in and not necessarily the environment of the heart, but that's not how Paul rolls. He's like, you know what's going to hold you in place? If your heart understands and is secure and has hope and really grabs the gospel because it won't matter what's going on out there if that's the case. So that's, that's, that's the lane that he's rolling in. For the Colossians, the bond of the gospel, this gospel that they share, the same gospel that saved Paul has saved them and it's made them saints, which is shorthand for the people of God. That's what you are, saints people of God, people that God has qualified to be in his kingdom, people uh, who God has redeemed and forgiven. That's what this word saint means. And they are not saints because they are particularly righteous or morally pious. Now, the qualification for their sainthood uh, comes at the end of the verse because they are in Christ. Something that Paul thanks God for again, like this is grace like Paul became an apostle because of grace they are saints they are believers they are a church because of grace this is what they share it's their relationship with Jesus that brings them into God's family that declares the gospel has done its work Paul's commendation that they are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ is not a generalized praise point but refers specifically to their belief that God raised Jesus from the dead 
and that he offers all believers, you know, Jews or Gentiles, the same promise of life. And they are living faithfully to that promise. This is not wishful thinking at Colossae. It is a concrete hope that shapes their faith and their love. And often when you read faith, hope, and love, that's how you, you see it in the other letters. But in this letter, it's faith, love, and hope. And it's the hope in this account that underpins the other two. Paul says grace and peace from God our Father. It is God that has brought the cosmic rule of Christ into the lives of the Colossians and also into the life of Paul. And by starting this way, Paul is not so much trying to define relationships of rank and authority. He's trying to demonstrate their commonality in Christ, that the same gospel that called him into a life of an apostle calls them into uh, a life of new relationships in which faith in Christ, love for the church and hope uh, bound up in the promises that are secure in heaven are shaping how they live, are shaping how they move uh, and interact with each other. It's the report from Epaphras of the presence of faith in Jesus, love for others, and hope in the new world to come that forms the basis for Paul's confidence that the gospel of Jesus actually shapes this community. Their active love for each other is not just uh, shallow sentimentality, a, a, a self-serving love that kind of seeks something in return. It's selfless. Uh, it's a love that takes effort and it's costly. It's about identifying and meeting the needs of those around them. But more than that, it's, it's indiscriminate, like it's not preferential. It's for all of God's people. All the saints, Paul says. You have love for all the saints, even if you've never met them, even if they look a little shady. You exercise love towards them. It has no qualifications. It's a love across all the normal barriers that, that kind of that get between our capacity to love. It's a love across race, socioeconomics, gender, politics. It's the kind of love that would see a Carlton supporter kind of pushing the car of a Collingwood supporter to the petrol station. It's that radical. It sees the busy, sophisticated businesswoman kick off her, her Jimmy Choo's and, and, and get down and involved in, say, like a, you know, our, our kids' church. It's the kind of love that sees a strapped cash uni student provide food for the hungry. It's that kind of love. It's uncommon. It's supernatural. It's unconditional love that they received from Jesus. Because later in verse 8, Paul refers to this as love in the spirit. It's not natural love. It's love that they have encountered in Christ that is now in them through the spirit of God. That is the evidence that the gospel is there doing work. Uncommon love. Love for each other that is shaped by God's love for them in Jesus. It's a love that springs up out of a relationship of faith in Jesus, that prizes Jesus and a way of life worthy of him above all other things. 
that prizes Jesus over philosophies that sound good, that, that, that accommodate comfort, uh, ways of life over all other things, that prizes Jesus over all other narratives, narratives of self-indulgence, self-gratification, self-actualization, this, this religion of self that we now live in. It's a faith and a love that is grounded in the concrete hope that Jesus not only shapes our present way of life, but that he has secured the future, their future. And it's not so much that Jesus knows the future, which he does, but rather he's already there. And that's what you can do when you're the supreme ruler of all things, exercising your authority over all of creation from heaven, this hope that's secured in heaven. And that's where Paul's taking us next week, to the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. But for this week, he's been, he's been reinforcing what exists in this church, what exists in this Colossian church to say, you don't need to panic. The evidences that the gospel has taken hold are amongst you. Look at how you live. Don't be distracted. And I wonder if someone wants to spend time with us and then head home and report back on how we are traveling here at Freeway. Like if they were just to spend a little bit of time with us and then head home, maybe they came here for a holiday. Would they be able to say that this is an environment uh, that is, that even in this environment, like we live in this environment where we're, where we're more and more questioning our Christianity. Like everything about it is questioned. Is it good for, for sexual ethics? Is it good for parenting? Is it good uh, f- for doing life? And in all this pressure, would they go away saying that they understand the goodness and the trustworthiness of the gospel, uh, that it shapes our practice of life, that it shapes how we move towards each other, even though there are all these other pressures around us, emerging philosophies and syncretistic religions, uh, the political agenda, would they say, as Epaphrasus said to Paul, it's a church that loves and knows Jesus because of the evidence of their faith, like they're just, tr- they're just trusting in this gospel, because of the evidence of their love across all lines, and because they, they are not rocked because of the secure hope that they have. Would they say that? Work to do. As we explore Colossians, we will pick up some of the tools that Paul gives the Colossians to encourage them in their faith. But for now, as we read this little introduction, it's as simple as reminding ourselves of how we became Christians in the first place. How you got saved is how you stay in place. Like it's the gospel that brought you in. It's the news about Jesus and how he moved to you and what he's done for you. That is the same thing that holds you in place. Like you don't need, you don't, it's that simple and it's that great. It wasn't something that the Colossians did and it's not something that we do, but it's something that God has done for us. And God did this because of grace, Paul says, which has brought peace to your soul, grace and peace delivering us out of the dominion of darkness, transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son, where we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins, confidence, hope, secure. 
We don't graduate from that news. We have to keep preaching it to ourselves. We have to keep preaching this gospel to ourselves so that no other uh, pressures and external ideas kind of smuggle their way in. We need to be spending time in Scripture. It's the unified story of God that leads us to Jesus. We need to be spending time in conversations with each other. We need to be in Bible study groups. We need to be having coffee catch-ups and just discussing you know, what our faith's like, you know, how we understand Jesus. We need to be doing this, and we need to be spending time in prayer that nurtures our dependence on Jesus, the hope that we have in Christ. Let's pray. I mean, God, we want to thank you for this little letter in, of Colossians um, uh, that, that comes with such a small little letter to this church and yet so rich and so full of who Jesus is. And as we read it and as we get into it, we will begin to see a picture of your son and all that he's done for us. And would that uh, shape us? Would that encourage us would that motivate uh, our practice of life would that hold us in place when other ideas come at us Uh, more and more uh, we need to be shaped by you and less shaped by the world and that's our prayer as we move forward in this book uh, throughout the next few months and we pray these things in jesus name amen